Amen. Um, we're going to do uh, another, uh, another session. I warned you last week a little bit. I told you today we're going to do um, I is for intimacy. And I'm going to be honest with you, I was uh, um, talking to somebody this past week and, and he just straight up asked me, he said, so what's with the title of your sermon that I is for intimacy last week? We talked about our intimate relationship with God and what does that mean? And I said, well, you know, it means I is for intimacy. And he said, well, what's the I for? And I said, well, intimacy. And he said, well, okay, but, but is there something special? Because you never referenced the I in your sermon. I said, no, it's more like I was thinking about Sesame Street, and they're like, E is for elephant. And when I was thinking about the title for the sermon, I thought, well, I is for intimacy. And so it was just, you know, my, my Sesame Street days, and so I stuck it out there, and that's what I did. But if you remember, last week was I is for intimacy A, and now we're going to do I is for intimacy B. I is for intimacy A was your intimate relationship with God. And Paul tells us in the book of Ephesians, um, I believe it's in chapter 5, where he says that our relationship to God should be mirrored in our relationship to our spouses. And so it talks about that. And I believe the same thing is true in intimacy. And so if I take you down the road that I took um, the first service with, before we get into the scripture, before we have a prayer and get into the scripture, let's all just take a deep breath. Let's hold it for a second. Let it out slowly. And then just kind of do me a favor and uh, look at what you're wearing on your feet. What are you wearing on your feet? I happen to be wearing some really nice cowboy boots that are getting more comfortable and more comfortable on my feet. I, we came in here. We look good. Okay, we look good. But we have nice shoes on our feet. Some of you have slides. Some of you have sneakers with little laces on them. Because we're going to talk about sex today. And when I start doing that, you're going to go, oh no! And you're going to look at your shoes like you forgot where they were. You will. You will. Like, oh, I can't believe he's talking about this. And sure, I warned you last week, we're not going to be like R-rated or anything. But um, I do believe it's going to be a little more PG-13 than it was um, last week. And, uh, and I want to do this. I, I believe that church is the place for this. And um, I'll be happy to discuss that with you for sure. But uh, let's jump into this, okay? We're going to jump into it from the book of Genesis. That's where we were last week talking about intimacy. So we're going to kind of launch off that same launching pad. Uh, the scripture begins in the Bible and it says, in the beginning, God's created the heaven and the earth. So the beginning is the best place to start when we want to learn something. And so we're talking about the sixth day when he created Adam and Eve. And so we're going to get to that starting at Genesis chapter one, beginning at verse 26, okay? And just reading through the end of the chapter. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule, let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move on the ground. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and uh, increase in number. Fill the earth. Okay, now listen, if you've got one of these things, I know it's a little novel. I think, I hope it's going to come back into, you know, being cool again to have a physical Bible in your hand. I really do. It's always going to show up up there, but you can, if you've got your phone out and you're following along, you can highlight this next word, okay? Because it says, fill the earth and subdue it. So God creates Adam and, earth, uh, Adam and Eve, and he says, Fill the earth, be fruitful, increase in number, and fill the earth, and subdue it, conquer it, take it back, overcome it, 
Why would he say that? Because Ezekiel 28, Scripture tells us that God cast Lucifer out of heaven and he cast him down to the earth where he, become, he became an angel, not an angel. He was an angel, but when he hits the earth, he's not an angel anymore, okay? He's not an angel from there on out. He's, he's lost that, 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 that privilege and that position in heaven. He's done. So he gets cast down to the earth and he's called the prince of the power of the air. And then God takes Adam and Eve, puts them in a little garden right in the middle of things, and then he, he, he creates the concept, the idea, the, the gift of sex. And he says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to increase in number. I want you to have babies. Okay? And I want you to subdue the earth with your families. I want you to take it back. I want you to conquer it. All right? And so then he goes on to say, it says, The Lord God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. To all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, there was the sixth day. And so just so you record, you just saw that the scripture says God counts the evening first, then the morning, and then the first day. Not the morning, then the evening, and it was the first day. So be aware of that. Now let's jump down to um, chapter, um, excuse me, um, verse... Um, 22 of chapter 2, okay? So let's go down to um, 22. Let me tear this baby off of there. And we'll go down here. And the scripture says in verse 22, Then the Lord God made um, a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man, and he said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. I'm just going to read all the way to the end. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. They will be united. Uh, he will be united to his wife. They will become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Okay? And so that is what I want to talk about right now. These are the things that I want to begin to address that I think the church should be doing a better job of. Okay? So let's talk about intimacy. Last week I put the definition up there for you. Um, and, and intimacy, it means close familiarity, friendship, closeness. It means intimacy between a husband and a wife. That's used in the sentence there, okay? It's the room had a peaceful sense of intimacy about it. But today I want to talk about it's an intimate act, especially sexual intercourse, okay? That's what we're looking at. And the scripture that I just read to you says this is God's actual and specific plan. One man and one woman. As we look at these passages in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, we recognize that God is creating, and He's creating, and He's creating, and He's creating. And every time He creates, and every time He comes to the place where it says there was evening, and there was morning, and there was a day, we get this idea right ahead of it. God says, and God looked at it, and it was good. It was good. The things that God created, He put out there, and He said, and it is good. Okay, now bear that in mind, okay, as we look at that. And it says, um, day one, the darkness and the light. Day two, the expanse we call sky. Day three, the oceans, land, plants. Two times, he says, and God saw that it was good. Do you know in my um, 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 Genesis class, in my um, life, uh, Jewish life and culture class back in 1992 that I was taking at Bible college, they said, the professor said, more Jewish people get married on the third day than any other day of the week. You know why? 
Because on that day of the week, the Scripture records that God said two times that the Lord looked and saw that it was good. And so he felt like, or they, they think that there's a double blessing on that day. And so that's the day that they should get married on. So that's what they do. They stack that baby up. Day four, sun, moon, and stars. Let me just keep moving. Day five, the ocean, animals, and birds. And then on day six, the day we're, we're dealing with right now, living creatures and man. You and I, Adam and Eve. There it is. What a statement. God looked out at everything he had accomplished on each day and saw that it was good. It was good that he had made a man and a woman, only a man and a woman. It was good that he had made them sexual beings. Scripture very specifically says male and female. Okay, not just man and woman, but male and female, he made them. It was good that he established the family unit. It was good that he had a plan, and it was a good plan when he did it. It was good for them to go forth and multiply, and that was the original plan for humanity. And the original plan for humanity was leave, and if I can use a King James word, cleave and become one flesh. There it is. 33%, 33%, 33%. That's where it is. It's right there. Leave, cleave, and become one flesh. Have sex. Leave their families of origin. You are called to leave your family of origin, to come together as a couple, become married, choose to um, abide by that covenant, and from there on out, it's the two of you against the world. Now, you don't have to hate your family. You don't have to poke anybody in the eye. You don't have to do any of that nonsense. I'm just saying, when it comes down to it, it doesn't matter what your mama said. doesn't matter what your daddy said. It matters what you and your spouse together decide. You can take all the advice from your parents you want to, but when it comes down to it, it's the two of you against the world, so to speak, and that's important for us to understand that. And become one flesh. Have sex. Have a sexual, continuing, ongoing relationship with your spouse. Paul, in his writing to the church in Corinth, said, Now, for the matters that you wrote about. So, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul is writing in response to a church that literally asked him questions. And you're going to see here in a split second that the questions were all about sex. And it's like, whoa, are you kidding me? How come the church doesn't talk about sex? Wow. Why is it that Christian people get so uptight when somebody says, why is it that some of you are sweating so profusely right now, going, oh my word, what is the altar called going to be today? <laughs> why? God created it and called it good. This is where we are. And it was so common and so un. Um, um, stigma attached to it that the church in Corinth said, Paul, we've got some questions about sex. Can we ask you? And they sent him a letter. And he said, now for the matters that you wrote about, it's good for a man not to have sexual relationships with a woman. Let me just finish this, okay? But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man, he's writing to the church but since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relationships with his O-W-N, own wife. Not like I own her, but the only one I'm married to. There it is, right there. And each woman with her own, the only one I'm married to, husband. 
The husband should fulfill his marital duty to um, his wife. And let me just tell you, he is being super, super, super what we would call genteel in that statement. You should be having sex with your wife, buddy. Okay? That's what this sentence would say. Not you. Okay? That's what it's saying. He's answering a question, saying, yes, it is your duty to have sex with your wife. And likewise, likewise, the wife with her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. And do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent, for a time so that you may devote yourself in prayer. He is so spiritual, Paul. So holy, this Paul. I love the guy. He, you, maybe you do or don't know. He, he's a single guy. He's not married. Never got married. Devoted his life to uh, taking the message of the kingdom of God out there. He did. And, and, and you're going to see, look here, let me just finish this out so I can get to this specific point and you see it. Then come together after you devoted yourself to so much prayer that you can't have sex, okay? Um, then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not a command. So that's not a commandment from God. This is Paul saying, hey, this is the way I am. You should be like me. But it's not a command from God. It's a concession. Okay? I wish that all of you were as I am, committed to being single. But each of you has your own gift from God. And for some of you, it's not singleness. Okay? Right here. Not singleness. Okay? He said, one has this gift, another has that one. So we see that this, Paul is saying, listen. Except for times of deep spiritual seeking God and being in His presence, fasting, praying, and things like that, there is no business that you have from keeping yourself separate from one another, saying no to each other. Um, we can take that a bunch of ways, and yes, you can send me emails and, and put all kinds of hypothetical situations, and we can begin to have an adult conversation. It'd be great. Okay? But I'm just saying, Paul is saying, look at this, and it would appear that the church in Corinth, the people that make up the church in Corinth, had a lot of questions about marriage, specifically about sex. And Paul was not so uptight that he's like, all right, everybody, look at your shoes before I answer this one, and it gets read out loud in church. He said, let me just tell you how it is. And these letters got read out loud in church. He said, this is how it is, okay? Some of the questions they sent had to do with divorce and remarriage. Some of them had to do with a guy that married his father's wife. Not his mother, his father's wife. Okay? They had issues in that church. Churches have issues. Churches should have people in them with issues. That's what church is for. And so we see this going on. Some of the questions had to do straight up with sex. And in any case, sex was not taboo. The discussion of sex was not taboo like it, like it is today in church. So that's where we are. Husbands and wives. Paul's saying, hey, don't deprive each other. Let me just share this with you. It's a phrase that my wife often uses. You do not have permission to weaponize sex. If you don't know what that means, ponder it for a little bit. You don't get to use it as a weapon in your argument to win arguments, to win your way, to get that new car, to get something for Christmas. I don't care if it's the husband or the wife. You do not get to withhold yourself from each other because you're going to teach them a lesson. And you think some of you guys are in here going, what are you talking about? I know entirely too many people. 
I'm just going to tell you. I know entirely too many married men that if I ask them when was the last time they had a sexual relationship with their wife, they had any course, they will say, about three months ago. That's not the way it's supposed to be. That's not what Scripture says. It's not supposed to be a weapon that we use to make somebody feel good and not feel good about themselves. But we live in a world where we're invited to objectify people, but we're not supposed to be doing it. I grew up in a household that, that taught me to objectify people, not just for sex, just objectify people. People are here to meet my needs so I can move forward, not get ahead, not become a millionaire, but just move forward in life. And that's just not the truth. I've been wrestling with that for the last two months. You're, you're invited by the world to objectify people, use people, get what you can from people, and then toss them to, to the curb. Because we live in a world where it really is all about me, subtly, sometimes flagrantly, and all of the time specifically. It really is all about me. Get mine no matter what. Crawl over top of the next guy. I had a wonderful conversation with the guy this morning that went somewhere to get something done and the door was closed. He got there early. A line showed up and everybody was there and it was cold outside and so they all waited in their car, but he formed a list. He had everybody sign a list and go back and sit in their cars where it was nice and warm. And some guy showed up and he was just like, no, I'm not being a part of your list. I'm first in line. At the end of the day, this guy was first in line and he let that other guy go first because he would have been 20 or 30 people back because the list was so long. We're in a world where we esteem others as better than ourselves if we need to because that's what we're called to. Then how come not in our marriages? Esteem that other person, that other person's needs, and we'll talk about this some more, but we are called to live so counterculturally that people have to ask us about it so that they will see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. Not we do our good deeds so that they'll see us do good deeds, but rather we just live a life of caring about other people so much that people come and say, why did you let that guy go first? And you just simply say, you know what? Don't know what's going on in his life, but if, if that helps his day get better, let's help his day get better. We just do it. Why not our marriages? When Pastor Janice and I were getting our, our materials together for what we call our, our marriage conference, just something that we do every once in a while, same thing that we kind of base our, um, our, our pre-marriage um, counseling off of, I came across this pastor, and uh, in our session on sex that we, you know, we do at the very end, because, you know, then, you know, you're getting ready to get married, and then you're talking about sex, and then it's just like, oh, too much tension, and it's like, oh, no, no. Okay, so anyway, you know, we save that one till last. Um, so anyway... But this guy said this about sex. He said it's for recreating. God created sex for recreating, for procreating, and communicating. That's what, that, that's what sex for. Recreating, procreating, and communicating. And I began to wrestle with that over the years when we put this together, and I think that's true. God created sex for recreation. God intentionally, very specifically, made sex fun made it pleasurable, made it enjoyable, and like a lot of things in our humanity, we find a way to mess it up, screw it up, uh, make it awful, objectify it so it really is all about me, and other person starts getting hurt or abused or all kinds of things. 
when we don't enter into a sexual relationship appropriately. But we recognize that God created it, and one of the reasons is for um, enjoyment, it's pleasurable, then we begin to stop and say, it's not pleasurable for me, it's pleasurable for us. And if we're working things together correctly, then it's pleasurable for both people um, in the situation. God made sex fun. As a matter of fact, um, in our studies, in Pastor Janice and I's studies as we bring things forward, um, it came to our attention um, that uh, biologically that God has created men and women differently. In their genitalia specifically, a man has 2,000 nerve endings. That's a lot of nerve endings. But a woman has 4,000 nerve endings. And so it's kind of crazy that Paul has to tell us in Ephesians chapter 5, in a paragraph, men love your wives and this is how you should do it. But to women, he simply says, women, submit to your husbands. It takes a sentence to talk to women. It takes a paragraph to talk to men. It takes a couple of minutes for a man. It takes a, a guy forever to figure things out. And it's very, very important that we stop and we realize if we see God as intentionally creating, then we begin to understand who He is and how things work. It only works best when it carries the commitment, the caring, the safety, and the belonging that reflects God's family. In recreation, that becomes sex when it's healthy like that. I don't know about you, but I've done a lot of things in my life, not sexually oriented, just I, I like to learn. I got into falconry. I'm just going to be straight up honest with you. I got into falconry two months before I got married. And I'm going to tell you why. Because my wife looked at me and said, you need a hobby besides me. And I said, yeah, I think I understand what you mean. <laughs> she's, I lived right behind her house in a little trailer house that we were going to live in, and she's like, you need to go find something to do. And I said, that's a good idea. And so I got into falconry, and it was good. I saw that it was good, and I saw that it was fun, and I saw that it was enjoyable, and I studied, and I learned, and I asked questions, and I failed, and it got better until I became a master class falconer, and the United States Fish and Wildlife Service gave me a card that I carry in my pocket that says, you are a master class falconer, and I got to fly, this is a red-tailed hawk, and I got to fly red-tailed hawks, and we hunt bunnies together, and you just turn them loose, and they follow you around the field, and then if you kick up a bunny, they go catch the bunny, and then you go pick the bird and the bunny up, and you go home okay and I've flown falcons where you send them out and the ducks come off the pond and they smash into the duck and you pick the duck up and the falcon up and you go home and I've fl flown jure falcons where they'll go out and they'll kill a great blue heron a Canadian goose a, a jackrabbit a rabbit anything that moves and can be eaten by a peregrine falcon which is like a really big falcon um, they will do that and say and I studied and I learned but you know why because it was fun and, and I, it's like, I need to understand everything I can about that. And in my life, I got into art, or maybe I should say art got into me. And then uh, it was a place for me to hide as a child. I just needed to stay out of the world I was being raised in. And then pretty soon, I started getting better and better and better at it. It's not something I necessarily went to school for, but it was something that I, I had to get better. I had to understand more. I had to learn. I had to do this thing. And this is just a picture of one of the, the paintings that I did for um, a family member from the 
this church. This is India Kirstein and her little baby boy, Blue. Um, and and as I just saw it and wanted to paint it, and there it is. But, but, but here's the deal. I worked and I worked and I worked. You know why? Because I love to paint. I saw that it was good. I saw that it was enjoyable. I saw that it was something I wanted to be a part of. So I studied it. I studied it. And then lately, it's dogs, and I know you're sick and tired of my dogs online. I get that. I understand. It's okay. Just, you know, unfriend me or whatever you need to do, okay? At one point in my life, it was bow hunting. I learned everything that I could about bow hunting because I love to sit on a two, two and a half by two and a half foot platform um, up in a tree 25 feet off the ground out in the middle of like 20 degree weather when there's snow on the ground and I don't have my phone and you can't call me. And I love it. And if the deer come, that's great. And if the deer don't come, that's great. I love it. That's okay. I'm good with it. But I get 13 hours of rest from the world. I intentionally shut down from the world, and I don't be a part of that. And at one point, it's cars. At one point, it's roping, breaking horses, living a cowboy life, all the other things. And I can just tell you, it, 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 it's good. And so I learned, and I invested and I did what I could to understand and, and become proficient, if not good at it. But there's one in there that is very, very important to me, nothing more so than my marriage, and my marriage is very, very good. I'm not saying we don't fight, and you are welcome to talk to my children. We fight. But more than that, we have commitment, and we make up. We're in it for the long haul. We don't use the D word. It's not, it's not happening. It's not, part, it's not part of the relationship. Sorry. Listen, I'm not here to throw a rock at anybody. I'm just saying it takes hard work, and I get that, and it doesn't always work. But this is our family, and we have poured into it. It'll be 40 years this year for us in December 16th at 7.30 in the evening. Um, that's what time we got married, 1983. And that's us. And actually, I'm not saying anything out loud, but there might be one more than that that is close, and I don't know what I am and not allowed to say, but I also, I can't put it on Facebook, but I, doesn't, I can tell people, so it will. So I'm not getting anybody in trouble besides me, so you'll just have to wonder and guess, and that's okay. But that will be eight grandkids, and they know not to tell me because I will put it on social media, but not, not this time. I'm showing them, not this time. It's not happening. It's not happening. I win. I win. But here's the deal. All of it comes down to this woman right here. All of it comes down to her. I promised her dad when I asked him if I could marry her. And actually, I didn't. I asked her first. <laughs> but I still made a promise to him that I would adore her to the end of my life. Now, there's times that she says, I want to do this and I want to do that. And I'm like, no, we're not going to do that because I'm the man. Okay, and I'm stupid. I get it. And then the next day I wake up and I'm like, okay, I've thought about it all night in my dreams, and this is how we can make your dream come true. Because I promise to adore her. And adoring her, for me, is about seeing her dreams come true. Now, she, on the other hand, has made the same covenant with me. Adoring me is about her seeing my dreams come true. Okay? She didn't sign up for 308-pound dogs running around my house on the inside. That's not what she signed up for, but it's what she got. Okay? And she's worried that there might be another one in the mix, you know, coming soon. And it's like, yeah, um, we'll work that out. Okay? We'll go to marriage counseling. It'll be okay. 
But here's the deal. Marriage is a two-person team. Marriage. Family is a unit, but marriage is a two-person team. Okay? And you do the things you do for the sake of your teammate. And listen to me. And you need to get good at it. And that includes sex. There is no room for this is it and that's all there is. I told some young men when I had them together in a group, I said, I will be a student of my wife's body until one of us dies. What is it that pleases my wife more than anything? What is it that makes her feel safe, adored, cherished, loved, and not used as a man? And she, in turn, does the same thing, and that's important, okay? And I would say that when we talk about this sort of a thing, that we need to understand that more sex takes place for fun than for any other reason. And as a result of that, just like the fun that I had in falconry and art, and the, then why aren't we getting good at it? Why are we keeping it quiet? Why aren't we talking about it? I, listen, I'm not talking about being crass. I'm not talking about being untoward. I'm talking about just a healthy conversation, not just a science biology lesson in church on Sunday morning. I'm talking about talking about sex and the fact that a man should be taking a little longer with his wife to make sure that she's pleased. If more sex takes place because it's enjoyable, then we should spend more time making it enjoyable for each other and not just getting our share. Second thing is sex was created for procreating, okay? Sex was created in creation for procreation. But guess what? It doesn't always work. And that's very near and dear to our home in these days. But it was designed to make more people. It was designed to increase the family of God, which I believe is the army of heaven on this earth. It was created to increase that number to drive back the prince of the power of the air from this world. But instead, we're holding up like we're scared to death of the devil. You do not have to be afraid of the devil. As you raise your children, it's okay to be super intentional and push back against that. Procreation and creating little peoples of you is the place where you instill your value system in them. But that means you've got to come away from other things as adults. You have to say no to things, even when we speak to our kids and say, they have to say no to things. You have to say no to things as well, okay? And so we need to do this. We're not going to come at people with sticks and guns and bullets and, and whatnot all. As the army of heaven, we're going to come with common sense, okay? We have to stand up for truth from Scripture. What does the Bible say? about what the Bible says, and therefore, how should we live even when we're talking about sex? There is no room for sex and a sexual experience outside of a covenanted marriage. That is simply not in keeping with the plan of God. The third thing this pastor said that sex was for was communicating, and nothing has the ability to make our spouse feel safe, wanted, desired, and part of us, physically part of us, as when we enter into a sexual relationship with somebody. That's the truth. Paul says that we come together 
and, and when we pull ourselves apart from somebody who's not our spouse, that we end up broken, as he writes to the church. In the scripture, the word that's used um, for cleaving is cementing, and the one that's most appropriate for um, our day and age today is superglue. Superglue. Come on, how many of you know that you took the superglue as a kid when it first came out? I remember when superglue came out. You know, crazy glue, huh? Little guy with his helmet to the, to the you know, steel girder bar, and he's hanging on, okay? And we glued our fingers together, and we're like, dang, look at that out there. Glued them right together. Would you just look at that? Can't get them apart, you know? And in the early days, we didn't have enough sense to stop and say, I wonder what the chemical compound of superglue is and what would react to that and cause it to come apart so that I can pull my fingers apart. We just ripped them apart. You know you did. Some of you are like, yeah, I did. Yeah, look, uh, this one came off. You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, no, no. But, but listen, listen. It, it didn't damage you, but you pulled them apart real fast. And what happened? This finger was left on that finger, and that finger was left on that finger. And you're looking at that going, would you look at that? Huh? The same thing happens when you rip apart people in a covenanted marriage. And it's a brokenness that takes place. Again, I'm not throwing rocks. I'm saying I recognize the hurt that when that covenanted me, and I do believe that a lot of it, based on Paul's writing to the church, I believe it's in Corinth where he talks about the, the, the uniting yourself to an adulterer, I mean, to a, to a prostitute. And, and he talks about coming apart, and that don't you know you leave some of you there? See? I think it's the sexual union. The, 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 You've got the leaving, the cleaving, and, and becoming one flesh. It's, it's ripping apart that. That, 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 that sexual union that rips apart a part of you because it doesn't have the safety, the communication, the concern and stuff like that that needs to take place. We see that a lot of people were raised in a household where sex was a duty. You know, Paul says, it's your duty. There was a time that the word duty used to be really super positive. You know, it's like, oh yeah, I'm going to stand up and do my duty. That's right. You know, a lot of times it had to do with defending your country, defending your family, and I'm going to do my duty. And now it's like duty. Oh, man, okay, that means we have to. We don't have any choice. Okay, fair, whatever. Okay, fine, do it. See, and, we, and, and people have an approach to um, sexual relationship that is duty. Or, or they're taught that it's dirty. We don't talk about it. We, we don't have anything to do with it. We keep it quiet. It stays in the back room. And I'm not, I'm, again, I'm not trying to be crass or anything like that. And then sometimes it's just about objectification or self-gratification. And we forget that it's what God said it is. But shame on the church because the church should be leading the charge. The church should be the place where sex is talked about and not not talked about. When we don't talk about sex, the world talks about sex to our kids from Hollywood, from Washington, D.C., and from every state house in the union. And shame on us for letting it take place and not rising up. Um, sex should not be talked about in church. Seriously, that statement alone is probably responsible for so much bad information, misinformation, twisted information, and so much pain in people's lives and marriages. And it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. And so we learn these things real quick through all of this. Absolutely, in concrete, sexual intimacy is good, and it comes intentionally from God. One man, one woman. That's it. God made Adam to like Eve. He made Eve to like Adam. And that's the way it is. It wasn't an act. I mean, excuse me, it wasn't an accident. 
It was not some sort of subterfuge, okay? Therefore, a man of God should care enough about his spouse to meet her sexual needs and vice versa. Seriously, if God says it's good, then it's got to be important enough to make it good. And I would encourage you in that. Number two, sex is meant for a man and a woman in a marital covenant, period. It is not for jumping around and hopping around. Anything outside of a marriage covenant separates us from God. It does. I'm sorry. People tell me, no, it doesn't. Yes, it does. I would dare say that the definition of the word Christian is somebody who follows the teachings of Jesus the Christ from cover to cover to the best of your ability. And when you fail, get back up and move forward in the truth, not in an opinion or a reasoning. From Genesis to Revelation and over and over again, the Scripture talks about sex outside the bond of marriage as sin, and I can't change that. Culture cannot change that. Human reasoning cannot change that. Personal wisdom does not have permission to change that. The Scripture defines what is and isn't sin. We get to define whether or not we're going to follow Christ as Christians or not. Even in our sexual expression. It's the Word of God. I didn't write it. I'm sharing it with you. Christian is somebody that changes their life to follow the teachings of Christ. The scripture will tell us somebody who repents, somebody who's baptized, somebody who surrenders to Christ, somebody who sacrifices their life, and somebody who lives obediently. Here I am, Lord, what do you want from me now? Sex was not created for people jumping from bed to bed, hookup to hookup, person to person. It's a gift that you bring into the relationship. And when we wait, it's an incredible thing. And here's the last thing that I want to share with you. Sexual intimacy is not to be exalted, nor is it to be diminished. It just is part of our humanity. We live in a world where you are assailed with sex everywhere. My wife and I laugh when we go to the, to the chicken place that Jesse was talking about a little bit ago, and we drive past, well, you know, the Burger King, and we laugh because we remember the commercial, I mean, the, the, the advertisement of like the 24-year-old girl that weighed 115 pounds, it looked like $9 million, holding this like 15-pound hamburger and trying to shove it in her mouth. And you, they're trying to tell you that if you'll just eat more Burger King, you'll look like this girl. And it's like, well, you eat more Burger King, you'll look like me. No, nobody want to look like me when you're trying to date somebody, okay? It's like, it's, but they're using sex to sell everything they can. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. That is not the picture of somebody chasing after Jesus. Here's the deal. When we fail, get back up. But move forward in the truth of Scripture, not of the culture. I would encourage you to spend the rest of your life your married life, being a student of your spouse's physical body. If you're anticipating getting married sometime, I would encourage you to consider learning what you can. I'm not advocating pictures. I'm not advocating movies. I'm, I will advocate five, I think it's five books, maybe four, but five books 
that I peeled out of a couple of places, and all of them are recommended by some very well-named pastors that I followed for years and years and years, and I was surprised to see them there, okay? And you can go to vineyardrichmond.com, and you can click on media, and then you can click on um, the coffee shop marriage thing, and in the fourth session, we posted a list of the books. They're there for you. I would encourage you to read them, study them. Learn what you can from them so that you can please your spouse and get better at it. I know every guy I've ever met is like, yeah, I know. I know. I'm Don Juan. It's like, you're not Don anybody. You're like Don on the ground looking like a, nor- uh, a moron. It's like, spend some time talking with your spouse about your sexual preferences. Spend some time communicating with your spouse about what you like. And, and for, for goodness sakes, and we're working on 40 years. I said that already, but working on 40 years. Spend some time being adventuresome. Enjoy each other's company because sex was created by God and God called it good. So we should be good at it. Let's pray. Fathers, we come before you right now. We want to thank you for um, this morning. We're ready to get out of here for sure, Lord. And so we just ask and pray that you'd hear us say thank you for being in our midst. God, I just ask and pray that you would challenge us in our thinking when we get a little overly puritanical or when we get a little too crass, God. That we walk, walk the line where we can teach our kids about sex, about gender, about the truth that this world is just grinding up and spitting out. That there is a truth, God, and you're it. And nobody gets to change it just because they want to. So today we just ask and pray that you would be with our marriages because the enemy is coming against them. We ask and pray that you would inspire us and encourage us in our relationships to one another. We ask and pray that you would teach us to esteem our spouses better than ourselves to spend our lives adoring and cherishing them, God, in accordance with the covenant that we made with them. And for goodness sakes, Lord, help us to avoid sexual immorality because it gets down into our bones. We thank you for this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. I'm not going to give you an altar call (laughs) this morning. about those of you that are feeling uneducated or maybe you need some more information. That's not what I'm doing. I will invite you to your feet. I will invite you that I am always willing to talk with you men and my wife with you ladies about anything that you would like to talk about. All you've got to do is email me at vineyardrichmond.com, Pastor P. Joe Wood at vineyardrichmond.com, and I'll get back with you and we'll set up a time. But here's the deal. We also recognize that there's a lot of things going on in your life that are not sex. Some of them are a struggle. I'm telling you, the enemy is coming against our marriages and teaching us that I should end my marriage if it's not what I want it to be. And that is not the truth at all. Not even close. No. No. We should work harder when it's there and do everything we can to let go of what's holding it or helping it on our part in coming apart and bring it back together. And I want to encourage you in that. A lot of times people walk into my office and it's sex and money. And those are two things that you can work on and get better at. And I would encourage you to do that. Be aware of that. In the meantime, if you're going through something that you just need some prayer for, okay, nobody come forward for sex things, okay? They're now you're safe to come forward, okay? Now it's safe, okay? Nobody will think things of you, okay? It's okay. Welcome to the vineyard. <laughs> but we want to go. I believe in prayer. Man, I believe in prayer. 
more than you can imagine. I believe in prayer. And these people want to pray for you. We want God to come down and touch your heart, touch your life, touch your health, touch your family, touch your children, touch your finances. And do something for the you that you never dreamed he would do. Just give him a shot. While we're singing the song, you can come up here and ask for prayer.